I just had the medical examiner drop off a brain in an ice cream bucket. What's your favorite thing about mortuary law? We're talking the law today. Give us your favorite thing about mortuary law. My single favorite part of mortuary law is when I get calls from funeral directors who are often in a panic as they are, you know, understandably so. They are want to do. <laughs> yeah, as, as they are want to do, uh, myself, you know, included back in the day. Uh, I didn't have me to call back then. Um, my favorite thing is troubleshooting uh, triage, basically troubleshooting a problem for a funeral director when they are in the midst of it. There is, to me, there is nothing more satisfying in the realm of mortuary law than when I'm on the phone and it's like, hey, uh, Attorney Sharkey, uh, the family's in the next room and they're screaming at each other about X. What do I do? Or, um, hey, Shark, I'm at the I'm at the graveside and the body just fell off the lowering device. What do I do? You know, stuff like that, where I am, I am in the moment with that funeral director. That to me is the most satisfying thing. Yeah. You probably have had so many stories for, for our listeners. uh, I'm sure you could already pick up on uh, Sharky as uh, he's one to be known is in mortuary law. He helps with a bunch of funeral homes throughout the country, a bunch of associations. I could let you go down your whole uh, history and line of work that you do. He has been, he's very involved in the funeral service and funeral directors got a ton of fun stories. So Sharky, I I, like, let's start off with a bang. Like, give me, give me one of those crazy stories that we all want to hear, like in funeral service. Like the, uh, the cocktail party story at at the funeral director convention story, which is very high buck, right? It sure is. We got plenty of stories. You're on a convention, a funeral director's convention with, by the way, funeral directors. For those of you that don't know, for those of you that are civilians, um, you get a group of funeral directors together and they can make Minot, North Dakota look like the Las Vegas Strip. Okay. (laughs) And and the reason is, is because as funeral directors, um, right, wrong or otherwise, we are expected to be very reserved especially if you're in a small town, right? Yeah. Cause the pastor's yeah. always watching you. Yeah. And it, when you get them out of that environment, they can let loose. So they're, yeah. they're so much fun. Um, probably one of, uh, just, uh, of the stories I can share, uh, because, you know, litigation is not yet concluded. Um, <laughs> the story uh, of the stories I can share. Um, uh, I get a call not all that long ago and it was, uh, Hey, Shark, um, I just had the medical examiner drop off a brain in an ice cream bucket, a a pail. And we had already cremated the individual and the, uh, you know, the the medical examiner dropped the ball and did not include, (laughs) dropped the ball and did not include uh, that organ in the vis, and it was normally in the viscera bag. And what do I do? And I'm like, you know, I get a lot of weird calls, but that's that's a new one. Um, and I won't tell you how I solved it because that's how I make my living. But, right. um, so, but what, so what happened? Like, what what was the reasoning? Like, how did they possibly forget that during the operation? The, the medical examiners, I, I think it was technically a corner. Um, okay. I, I think technically. Um, yeah. And there is a difference. Um, 
the uh, I think they dropped the ball and I can only imagine that, you know, they're in the back at the uh, medical examiner suite and they're like, hey, where'd this come from? Um, I mean, honestly, it's not it's funny. It's, it's also very disturbing. But yeah. and then to deliver the organ in a in an ice cream pail is, you know, just the OSHA flags just are off the roof. Um, not OK. Um, yeah. But, you know, we. And, and uh, you know the individual had already been cremated, so it isn't right. like we couldn't. You know, normally, normally, of course, for everybody to know, um, normally uh, all the organs that are removed during an autopsy are included in what's called what we call a viscera bag, and that viscera bag is uh, cremated with the rest of the human remains. In this case, bag to open up, it's like Christmas morning opening that bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was that was one that even for me, I was like. Uh, okay, they there is no manual on this. Um, no. I did have, and this is not a completely, you know, this is not wholly no. unheard of. Uh, and there's probably some older funeral directors out there that are like, oh, I remember back in the day, I got a call from a, a person who had just bought a funeral home and they went down in the basement of the funeral home and they discovered, you know, way back in the whatever part of, of this old part of the basement, they discovered a series of anywhere from, you know, yay long to almost three foot long, yay wide, yay tall, hunks of concrete that had been poured. And they were labeled, like scrawled in, okay. um, Mr. Smith's leg, 1940, whatever. And what it was, is it was, um, it was a farming community. And apparently they weren't very good with safety devices in that community. And they were amputations. And and these individuals had wanted to have their you know their their amputated which which by the way uh, you know in all seriousness if for some people is a, a very important religious tenant sure. uh, but the, these folks wanted to be able to have their um, limbs you know uh, um, buried with them and this was how that particular funeral director back in you know pre war uh, had decided to preserve them. And, and of course, it just never happened, right? And so, I, and they're like, "What do we do?" And I was like, "Leave him for the next guy, man." I mean, yeah, uh, but yeah, that was. A, and I, I know that that I have heard anecdotally that that is, you know, other places have done that, but that's just one of the many weird things. Uh, uh, Absolutely absurd. You know, we as funeral directors, we don't have to make. There's no, there's no fiction for funeral directors because our our reality can be so strange and, 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 and I don't mean that in a negative way and I don't mean it in a crass way ever. Uh, it's just that, you know, we live this, this wonderful, but yet strange life and, and profession that brings with it so many of these strange little things that we can only, you know, we can only tell so many people. Right. And that's, that's what brings us together too. Uh, is that we could share those stories like you're saying because you're not going to tell that to any Joe Schmo on the street. No, that, no. That's another reason why those conventions are probably crazy because you can unleash and like tell all your stories that people you can tell it to. And there's there's a catharsis to know that you know you're not the only one experiencing this. Yep. You know you're Absolutely. not. There's, there are other people are going through the same thing that you are as a funeral director. And by the way, when I say funeral director, I mean funeral director and embalmer. I mean, yeah, like, in, there are states in which they're different things. Um, I hold I hold licenses. I hold a mortician's license and I hold a funeral director's license 
in two different states, but they're they're combos, right? So I can embalm or meet with families. So when I say funeral director, I mean overall uh, the over encompassing term. So you started off as a funeral director. What yeah. made you get into funeral, like you know anything mortuary to begin with? And then you took a a nice right hard turn into law, but still staying in funeral service. So you have an interesting uh, dynamic. I, I I grew up in the I grew up in the greenhouse and and floral business, ah. and in, in a small town. And for me, um, there was absolutely nothing strange about the local funeral directors. They were business people, just like my parents. And my parents had business relationships with them. Right. Um, and I was going in funeral homes since I was old enough to hold the door for my dad to get a casket spray in or to hold a bud vase in my little lap so it didn't yeah. tip over. Uh, and to see the funeral directors, you know, they're always dressed nice. And I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, and you know, people didn't have suits uh, unless it was a wedding or a funeral. They didn't wear a suit, and these guys wore suits all the time, and that was cool. Um, they're always reserved. They were always classy. They had a cool car. Um, and so, but there was nothing strange about them. We we're just business people. And you know, yeah. my mom, being the being the local florist, you know, if she had to work on all day Sunday because there was a funeral on Monday, she worked all day Sunday. If she had to work on Christmas or New Year or Thanksgiving, she had to work on that time. It's, it just wasn't weird. And I, I was out of college. I had a biology degree and I had just graduated from college. And, you know, like two days later, I was helping my parents and I delivered a funeral. I delivered funeral flowers and I had, I always kind of wanted to be a funeral. I always was interested in it. Um, sure. I had worked in the anatomy department in college as a deaner. It's an old school word for uh, somebody who helps with uh, cadavers and it's from the German uh, diener. But, um, and so I, I, the local funeral director is like, you ever think about funeral directing? And I was like, yeah, I I have actually. And he's like, you want to be my apprentice? And I said, okay, I had a job lined up, but it didn't start for months. And he's offering me a job like tomorrow. He's like, you start tomorrow morning. I'm like, okay. So, Wow. Took off. Yeah. I ran down that day. I ran down to, uh, you know, it was a 60 mile drive, but I ran to a place where I could buy when my mom came with and bought a couple of suits and a sport coat or two and some new shoes and showed up next day. Uh, you're now an apprentice. So <laughs> you're, yeah. So, or at least an apprentice back in those days, uh, we actually had to sign indentureship papers. What does that mean? Um, it was actually a way of protecting, like an indent. You've heard indentured servant. Ind- yeah. It's not that exactly, but it's <laughs> that you agree that you're the apprentice. This is the master, oh. and it also set out. It was actually a way to protect the apprentice. We've all heard the horror stories sure. um, of how poorly uh, apprentices or interns are, are treated. And by yeah. the way, that that is still that way in some parts of the country, and it really? is not at all that way in other parts, uh, yeah. which I'd be happy to talk about because there's a huge difference in um, pay uh, uh, for funeral directors. And when you see a huge difference in pay for funeral directors, you also see a huge difference in how they're treated. But anyway, um, yeah, back in the day that I had to be paid minimum wage, I couldn't, you know, I had to be paid time and a half after 40 hours. And it was just a way of, of but it's just kind of funny that we had indentureship papers back then. So um, I got into funeral directing and then uh, I went to mortuary school at the University of Minnesota mortuary science program. I already had a biology degree. Um, took off from there. Cool. Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. 
All right, I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the funeral homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home, and I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. Well, what was the beginning of your career like or your your years as a funeral director? What did you like to do? Were you front of the house, behind the scenes? So, uh, so I, I did this in my own small hometown okay. where if I didn't know if I didn't know who you were or know your cousin or at least knew of you, that was, you know, the exception to the rule. I right. either knew or knew wow. of anybody that I was in any family I was meeting in, and anybody who's, you know, who, who's brought into my care, who, anybody I was embalming. Um, so I got this, you know, it was, it was literally burying, uh, uh, um, cause you know, we had a very low cremation rate back then and in that yeah, particular yeah. place. Um, if I didn't know you, that was, that was weird. And so it was, it was very much my, you know, my friends and, and even a few family members, uh, uh, yeah. that, that, that I had this experience with. And then I went from there, um, to a, I moved to the big city and, uh, uh, I worked at a place at what the time was the largest funeral home in the state. And they were doing about 2,200 calls a year or so. And, you know, I didn't know anybody and you know, you just got handed off. Boom, boom, boom. Um, I put myself through law school, living and working in a funeral home. So that's sweet. So, so why lost like, so you were in funeral service. You clearly like funeral service. So what made you switch and move into the law then after a while, for a while? Mortuary law was not an, I will tell you what happened with that is I went to work at a litigation firm. Um, well, it fit my personality to be a litigator, to be, you know, a trial attorney that, that yeah. fit my personality and it, and it, you know, fit how I think and on my feet and be yeah, quick. Sure. Um, and I don't have the patience to do transactional work. Also, I find it boring. Um, (laughs) so I I was litigator and I, I got my first, I had, I had somebody that had been a classmate of mine, uh, called me up and they had run into some trouble, um, uh, on a licensing issue. So it was administrative law and they wanted me to represent him. I agreed. And and my boss, you know, one of the partners at the firm, I was like, Hey, I got my first mortuary law case. And he's like, what? That's not a thing. And I'm like, no, yeah, it is. And he's like, no, you're making this. And so the very first law firm I was at, I tried to develop this mortuary law practice. And they're like, you're just making this up. There is no such thing. And now, you know, 18 years later, um, I'm like, 100% of my practice is mortuary law. You know, that's all I do. So it it was was a progression. Um, A few years, uh, I opened my own law firm, Sharky Law. Find me at mortuarylaw.com. Um, and uh, uh, um, after being at a couple firms and kind of moving the needle from litigator to mortuary law, you know, going from 25%, 75%, 50-50, and now it's just, it's only mortuary law anymore. I still do litigation, but only on behalf of funeral homes or families or cemeteries or crematories. Uh, so, yes, I still do do litigation, but it's always couched within the context of uh, 
you know, death care. Got it. That's super interesting. And uh, such a, a fine niche you find yourself in because you have the experience so you can relate to all these funeral homes and all the cemeteries and everything else. And then you actually have the law site where you can help and, you know, be a part of the best practices too. The number of attorneys that speak funeral are, I can count on, you know, one hand. So. Very little, I'm sure. It's it's a huge I, thing. It's the same thing for what, what we do. Like, there are very few marketers that come from funeral service. It just, it doesn't yeah. add up. So it's like when you have that connection, that experience, you can speak funeral to people and, and they get it. We understand each other. <laughs> I, I, I've actually, I've, I've developed this kind of, and it's a joke and, and uh, uh, obviously, but, you know, I've had a couple of people say, well, I'll never use you. I have my own attorney. I'm yeah. like, well, first of all, I don't care. First of all, let's be clear. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, my, my joke has become, uh, oh, you have an attorney? Yeah, I have an attorney. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah if we get trouble, you take screw then. Oh, oh, first of all, great. Yeah. But I say, call him up right now and say, put me on the clock. In 10 seconds, tell me the difference between a cannula and a casket. It's like, well, you have a clue about that. And I'm like, and yet that's your attorney. <laughs> right, right. You don't know what you're going to get yourself into. Like, there, I mean, I'm sure you've seen so many crazy, unbelievable variants in your cases. That's got to keep your job pretty interesting, too. I, I wake up every day uh, happy to practice law, happy yeah. to have the wonderful wonderful clients that I have, whether they be cemeterians, um, uh, you know, people who run crematories or, you know, the majority, my, my funeral director peeps, my beloved colleagues in this dismal trade of ours, um, <laughs> having the chance to, you know, I, funeral director, we always talk about, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a privilege to serve, right? And it's one of the things, talk to any funeral director, you will eventually hear her say, it's a privilege to serve. That's how I feel. I, you know, I don't serve families directly. I serve funeral directors. And, yeah. and that, that to me is just, you know, it's, it's a reason to get up in the morning and, 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 and it, and it's puts a smile on my face at the end of the day that I'm, I'm there for them and I can help them, you know, navigate the pitfalls of, you know, being a funeral director in, yeah. in 2024. In a, um, yeah. it, it, the, uh, navigating the minefield was a book about, uh, uh, you know, the pitfalls, uh, the legal pitfalls of funeral service uh, a while back. And, and it's true. You, you are in a minefield, as, as you know. Right. You never know what you're going to get your hands on. And like people are seeking, especially if maybe it's a frustrated family or friend or whoever it is. They're looking for someone to blame if they had a difficult loss or maybe they don't they, they weren't happy about the relationship at the end, whatever it might be. People often take their anger out at us. So you gotta be careful because they're gonna find any reason for they're gonna get at you, they're gonna get at your funeral home, your business, and then you're gonna be in trouble. And it's it's a scary, scary thing. You know, I will tell you this, Mr. Cooney. Take this to the bank. Okay. If it weren't for funeral directors, nobody would ever die. Yeah. About that I first. mean, yeah. If it weren't for funeral directors, nobody would ever die. In other words, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. People come, yeah. If it weren't for funeral directors, nobody would ever die. The concept that um, I'm really angry, and maybe I have a lot of unresolved grief issues. And, and you know, being a funeral director, how grief can affect the way a person acts and reacts, right. that right. they automatically take it out on the funeral director. 
you know, well, it wasn't for you. My dad wouldn't have died. You're the funeral director. So I'm automatically angry at you because of what, yeah, you're, yeah. you know, and of course I say that to be absurd because yeah. it is absurd. It is. And yet, and yet when I say that to a lot of funeral directors, they're like, yeah, sure. And it's, I feel like that some days that people blame me because if we didn't have funeral directors. We wouldn't have death. Right. They blame you know, in, in the public's mind in a lot of ways, how weird that is. It's messed up, but it's not, it's not a good thing. It isn't at all. Let's no, and Of course, you know, as you know, a lot of times I'm on the phone with a client and I I'm like, look, this family and, and, and they're, and they're questioning themselves, which is always good to question yourself, you know, check yourself. I'm like, course, look, this, this person or this whole family is having an adverse grief reaction and they're taking it out on you. Um, do not question your professionalism. Do not question your ethical uh, uh, standards. You're doing the right thing. They're making you second guess yourself. You know, you're having a little bit of imposter syndrome, uh, which is good because the way this family is is negatively acting towards you. But don't let that don't let that get you down. It's literally spot on. I was I was on another podcast yesterday and we were talking about the very similar, very so close and literally talked about imposter syndrome, like in that same aspect of thinking. And you just have to stick to your guns and know that you're doing the right thing and people are going to make you feel bad. They're going to say mean things. They're going to be harsh to you. They're going to ask for a million things and you're not going to ever be able to fully deliver. But in your heart, when you know that you're serving and doing the best, that's all you can do. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's skip back a little bit and sure. talk about talk about uh, the apprentice difference throughout the country. You briefly touched on it and I'm very intrigued and I want to hear about that. So um, I, I, I was going to say I get around. Don't mean it like that. Um, <laughs> sure. But, uh, sure. I, I, get, I get around. You know, I did. A, I, I did last year in 2023. I think I did 20 different speaking gigs. And they're at, you know, mostly state conventions. So I get around quite a bit all the way from, you know, last year I was, I went all the way from New Hampshire to California and many places in between. And then I'm also involved in a, in a Facebook page called Prep Room, which is a closed group just for funeral directors. Uh-huh. I'm also involved as an admin uh, and help run a, a, an open Facebook page for civilians called Ask the Embalmer slash Funeral Professional. It's a place... And, and we can we can talk about those in a little bit, but yeah. so I think I have a pretty good finger on the pulse of um, what people are experiencing, sure. As far as wages and um, you know, basically mm-hmm. how much respect is given to the profession in in any given place, and there is a very big difference in wages uh, regionally, and yeah. so and. I think that, and when you, well, I don't think, I know when you have uh, states like, for example, Minnesota is a good example. When you have a state like Minnesota, we are begging for people for, you know, to come be funeral directors here and nobody gets mistreated in Minnesota. Okay. I'm going to say that you don't get treated. You know why? Because, (laughs) because there are, because there are 10 funeral homes that will hire you that. And I mean that fast. Yeah. Uh, If you, if you're like, my boss mistreated me, they're like, then you start here tomorrow. Uh, there are places further south okay. that, you know, they're like, I don't care if you work here, if you go work at the Chick-fil-A, in yeah. fact, you're going to make more money at the Chick-fil-A or whatever at the, at the speedy oh, yeah. quick mart. 
and yeah. you're just chewed up and you're spit out. Um, and it really kind of bothers me. I'm like, hey, guys, come on up north. And I don't mean just Minnesota. The Dakotas, God, they're hiring uh, uh, Wisconsin, Illinois. Uh, yeah. um, we, Illinois. We're all be- Michigan. Yeah. We're all begging for people up here, and we're paying for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're being mistreated down in, you know, pig's knuckle wherever – uh-huh. And being paid twelve fifty an hour, you're gonna get paid forty bucks an hour up. You know, maybe not four, but you're gonna get paid thirty for, in, first. You know, actually forty uh, bucks an hour would not be if you actually have a license. That would be very standard. Yeah. Um, move. Um, yeah, it just really it blows me away that there are places that treat people so poorly, and yet there are places you know, jurisdictions that we are just begging for people and you won't be mistreated because nobody can afford to mistreat their help in certain places. Right. And it just speaks to, we have options as funeral directors. There's such a need for it. I talk about that pretty frequently that, I mean, our funeral home, for example, like we've looked for people many, many times over and I know a ton of people in Chicagoland that are always looking. And I feel like that is standard throughout a lot of the country. So you have options. And I think to expand on maybe the mistreatment, maybe that comes from, this is just my line of thinking that they were treated this way as an apprentice. I'm not naming names. I I have a certain person in my life that is not my father, but it might be someone else in my family that they were treated horrifically as an apprentice elsewhere. And they think that is how everyone should be because I had to do it or they had low wages. And it's just like trying to get, make back for lost time a little bit. Uh, That would be my one thing that would be like, that would make more sense to me than I just don't understand why, why you're going to just go through that as a person, just, you know, you go find yourself another spot. There are so many places to go, so many places looking and the ones that aren't treating their employees, right. The joke's going to be on them because they're going to be out of business one day and probably not that long because no help is going to want to be there. And you need help as a funeral homeowner. Yeah. You need it so badly. And, and I, I, don't, I, I want to be clear. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm bagging on some of the bad actors. Mostly it's good actors. Okay. And, yeah. you know, I have so many, and, and my clients are owners. I mean, right. Those are my yeah. clients are, are, are the owners and the management uh, uh, folk. And, yep. you know, it, it hurts, it hurts me to see them hurting me like, sure, God, I, I, you know, I'm throwing money at people to get them to come work and I can't find anybody yes. help me. And I was like, you know, I get the call shark who's looking. And I'm like, all of your competitors, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they mean, you know, who's looking for a job. I'm like, nobody. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I could help, but, um, um, I know. We, you know, we, we've got some, we've got a real, uh, we're going to have to, as, as a profession, we're going to have to have a real come to, we're going to have to have a real moment yeah. where, uh, people need to start moving and, and, and looking at, at jurisdictions that are going to treat you right. And those jurisdictions where you're not treated well. And when I say jurisdictions, I mean, states, yeah. um, if you have problems finding people, well, you're going to have to catch up with the rest of the country because paying a funeral director, you know, 13, 14 bucks an hour, that, you know, you might get away with that in pig's knuckle uh, wherever, but um, here in Minnesota, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, 
you get laughed, you would get laughed at. Like you would get not even just laughed, you probably get spat at. I mean, it's so <laughs> I would like to, uh, I would love to see that that change, and it, it's going to change. It's a market force. It's going to change. Absolutely, it's going to. I think we're, just we're, as the idea that you know, um, one, one of the other things is when I put on presentations is um, the developing. And I, and, I, and I mean this in an extremely positive way when I use the word phenomenon. I mean that in a positive way. The developing phenomenon of women entering funeral service. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, and I have two things to say about that. Uh, number one, this right here, I don't want to say old, but the mature sure. white dude with a beard. In another few years, this is not the face of funeral service. Right. You know, it right. is not. Um, and that's great. That's positive. And there is absolutely nothing in funeral service that uh, women can't do. And there are there are still uh, there are still some stodgy old guys that have bad attitudes, and they're really really hurting it for everyone. If there are any females who are aspiring to be funeral directors or who are newbie funeral directors, and you feel um, you, you, you're feeling that that whole push down patriarchy thing. Believe me, there are places that would love to have you, and you will not experience that again. No, move. Um, yep. Here's another thing, and, and I this one I, I've said this I've I've said this a few times, and, and whenever I get groans, I, I, I I'll, I'll put on presentations and I'll get cheers and groans, and when I get both at the same time, that's when I know I've really hit something. Hit yeah, that's, yeah, I hit a spot. Um, and that is that um, I am calling out that the idea that women are starting to make their mark on funeral service. And I call BS on that. Here's why. Women are not starting to make their mark in funeral service. If you look at the historical record, going all the way back, all the way back to prehistoric times, we're talking about when we were burying bodies in the caves of northern Spain and southern France and covering them with ochre, uh, putting seashells. That was all done by women. Yeah, Women have been undertakers. Women have been doing that work in most of our societies over thousands of years. And it is only until the Industrial Revolution that men took over funeral service, right? So I throw a BS flag on women are starting to make their mark. No, they have always been part of this. It's just that for the last 150 years or so, men have pushed them out of the way. They're back and they should be back. And we should recognize that historical uh, contribution. And, not th and, and, and like I said, this, this is the face of funeral service for the last 150 years, but before that and going forward, it's female, and I'm happy of it. Yeah, that's that's cool. I didn't realize that. That's a that's a fun fun fact. So you said you're saying I'm screwed having this face in funeral service in ten years. <laughs> that's a lot for your face. I mean, it's a, just <laughs> you know, just don't have this face. And you'll be all right. No, I mess. I I think it's a beautiful thing. It's gonna be very helpful. Um, for so many reasons, this can be helpful with families, helpful with the job force, which we both know we desperately need. I think we're yeah. seeing an influx of students. It seems like there's more and more the capacity of these schools are increasing and there's more students. And hopefully that turns out more funeral directors and hopefully they stick with it because that I think is one of our biggest pitfalls is that they're quitting after four years, five years. I was going to say the five-year mark, man. Yeah, if, you make it, if As a funeral director, if you make it past five years, 
pretty good chance you're going to stay in the profession. Uh, yeah. It's up it's that first five years. And that goes back to mistreating people and paying them properly. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your most common case that you see funeral homes? What, what is something that repeats all the time that you're seeing? Uh, number one biggest thing. So I, so for the different associations uh, for whom I'm general counsel, uh-huh. and I'm general counsel for four different state associations. Nice. For those different uh, state associations, we all have like a helpline or a, um, you, I mean, that's my term for it, where right. you as, as a member benefit, you can call me and I help you um, understand what's going on, troubleshoot the problem across all those states. The number one most common issue is families fighting over the right to control the final disposition. Oh. Absolute number one. In fact, probably 75% of the phone calls I get, which are like, I need help right now, phone calls through associations, are families in the next room and they're fighting over. And it's usually, you know, it's usually one of a just at two or three different situations and, and you've experienced this and any funeral director that has been doing this for more than about two minutes has experienced it. And it's um, the f- couple different things. It's either one um, I've been at my mom's bedside for the last six months yeah. and my sister that mm-hmm. out in California, uh-huh. sorry, California, but um she hasn't talked to my mom, so I should be in charge and she shouldn't have any say. Yeah. And of course we know that's not how the law works, right? right. She has an equal say. Um, or uh, mom loved me more for therefore I'm in charge. Oh, tough one. You know, <laughs> you know that, that one. Or I'm going to pay for the funeral so I make all the decisions, the rest of you shut up. The most- uh, and there are places, there are places in which funeral directors actually believe that's the law. Whoever pays the bill, they make the law. I'm like, hey, how it works. I'll be happy to take the plaintiff's case on that because you're, you're going to, yep, you're, you're going to lose. Um, it, but usually it's, uh, it's an argument over my sister, my brother, whoever it is, hasn't been involved. And so therefore they shouldn't have any say. And that's simply not how the law works. And all 50 states have, uh, have statutory regulations as to who has the right to control the final disposition. Right. And you just have to abide by them. And then if you, you don't, have to abide by those. Sure, you and to... you know what? In all 50 states, they haven't been updated since, you know, whenever. And yet modern family dynamics are yeah. such that they haven't kept up. Right. And I'm not saying that they necessarily need to be tweaked, but. You know, I have a, you know, my, my dad's on his third marriage and, you know, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I hate my stepmom and yet she's in charge cause she's married. You know, that's a common one. I should be yeah. in charge cause I'm his child and my stepmom is up, you yeah. know, well, she's married to him. Yeah. She's in charge. That's how the law works. What, so. what about one you see this, uh, relatively frequently, I'd say separated. So you have maybe maybe it was the second you know husband or wife or and or first one it doesn't really matter but they're separated but they're still technically married and their elder kids involved what happens there okay so i can't answer that question because there are 50 different answers each state 
<laughs> at each, which is good for me as an attorney, right? Each state has a different answer to that. So, for example, uh, it, we got the Mississippi, we got the, the headwaters of the Mississippi River, and we've got Minnesota and Wisconsin, right? Here's Minnesota and Wisconsin, right? So, if you are in Minnesota, and husband and wife are they're they're in the midst of a divorce, okay? And it's a nasty divorce. In fact, you know, husband was involved with the babysitter, you know, like, yeah. like make, like make it as nasty as you want. Right. Sure. Was involved with the babysitter and then died, you know, and, and the oh, wife yeah. is, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but right. Uh, make it as nasty as you want. They're in the middle of a divorce and husband dies under Minnesota law. 149A.80 sub D2, the wife is absolutely in charge. And if she wants to say, I want that SOB cremated and I'm going to throw his cremated remains in the garbage can. Yeah. And by, by the way, yeah, that happens. I've seen oh, it happen. Um, that's how it works. Now, cross over the Mississippi River, a few hundred okay. yards, and you're in Wisconsin. Okay. The moment that either party files for a dissolution of marriage dissolution of marriage nice way of saying divorce uh -huh. um if you've ever had a divorce you'd like to have something nice to say it's not a divorce it's a dissolution of marriage doesn't that sound nice still gonna cost you um so yeah um now in that situation in wisconsin under uh wisconsin statute 154.30 sub d b sub d3 B, I believe it is, uh, the moment that one party or the other files, they are cut off. Wow. Right? And it then goes, then it goes to the next person in line. So maybe an adult child or, or maybe the parents, depends on who's there. Uh, so each state has a different answer to that question. And you gotta know that you gotta know the law in your own state. I'm always amazed that you know, funeral directors, um, they think that there's their state law is the only law that it's a model law. There is not a model law out there. Right. Um, as, as far as that, that everybody's ever adopted. Um, yeah. So yeah, the answer is different in each different state. It makes it uh, confusing, especially if you're operating in two different, right. If you're on a state line, like that's gotta be even more challenging. Yep. You have to understand all these different, dynamics and law and it's it's craziness i i have some i have some clients that have funeral homes on either side of a state border you know mm -hmm. um whatever it may be illinois and wisconsin minnesota and south dakota minnesota and wisconsin um washington state and oregon wherever it might be pennsylvania and ohio wherever it might be and they're right on that border i'm like well where's the decedent now where did the death take place and where's the decedent Right. And I've had times where, you know, the death has occurred in one state and the answer is this. And they're but the body's been removed to another state and now be, now all of a sudden we're on a different scheme, you know. So that's so, how it works. So like, let's say that did that exact situation happen and the person passed away in the situation we were just talking about. Person passes away in Minnesota, but their funeral homes in Wisconsin. What law are they following there? Well, they have to follow. So they would follow Minnesota law, right? Okay. As to who has the right to control, because that's where the that's where the decedent is. That's the that's the C two of death, right? Um, 
Right. And so that's the law that applies. But then once that uh, decedent comes into another jurisdiction, and by the way, there's some carve outs, but we would get into some big, long, you know, that's my that's my master's or Ph.D. level uh, uh, mortuary law class. So um, but then we get into Wisconsin and Wisconsin law applies. So the question is, is, well, what happens if the Wisconsin funeral and we're only using Minnesota and Wisconsin is just easy yeah. examples. Of any yeah. two states. Um, what happens to the funeral director, you know, just goes and does a removal and maybe they shouldn't have because uh, because the answer to who's in charge may be different in different states as we've developed, as we've shown. So. Oh, that's a weird situation. That's, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. I got another question for you that I feel like funeral directors and funeral homes have all the time. What about old cremated remains? I'm sure this is state by state as well, but I'd like to hear your take on that. Um, like for my family in particular, we don't have the heart to to go scatter them after X amount of years, which I'm pretty sure for most states, that's the, the way you could do it, or you could bury it at a, a cemetery at a group. But we don't have the heart to do that. So what is your suggestion? We have cremated remains from back when my grandfather was was around funeral directing. So what is your recommendation in, in the, with the law with that? So uh, so as funeral directors, we have a term for this. It's called the closet of memories. Yes, exactly. You heard that. Um, we have two it, was around, it was around long before Thomas Lynch, but uh, but Mr. Lynch, being the poet laureate of funeral service, he he did bring it into our our own lexicon, um, mm -hmm. or maybe I should say into the popular lexicon, the, the closet of memories, and uh, the idea that a funeral home has this place somewhere in the funeral home in which there are um, urns, uh, yeah. uh, old urns, uh, often temporary uh, urns Boxes, that yeah. have just been abandoned, and. And as, as you very honestly and ethically put, you know, we don't have the, we just don't like the idea of, yeah. we, most, I can't say every state, most states have a statutory or a regulatory uh, scheme by which the funeral home can get those cremated remains out of the funeral home and to a permanent resting place. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a big, and, and each one is different. There's, and there's, um, there's, re, um, there's notice requirements for each state. You know, sure. you have to write family, just have to be certified. You have to send out three letters. You have to send out two letters. You have to be, you know, 30 days in between each letter, all that stuff. Um, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's very, very state specific, but in the most general, general sense, um, what you want to do is you put the family on written notice, paper your paper the file. You show that you did this, do it certified mail so that you can prove that you know we got they got the information. And then I do not like the idea of scattering. There are those that do. I personally do not advise it. Um, you go and you purchase the most inexpensive mausoleum space that you can as a funeral home, and you then in bulk you take all of you take your closet of memories that after you have properly notified under your particular sure. state's rules properly notified all those families and go and you place those cremated remains um very very carefully according to a grid so that you know where everybody is and one of the things you always want to do and i'm i'm giving a freebie here yeah. is that you always want to have the funeral home tell the family they're going to be responsible for any costs. So if you show up and you're like, hey, 
you know, we got this letter three years ago and it said, you know, that our mom would be placed, you know, um, we want her. Okay, well, she's in a mausoleum space. You'll notice that the letter says that you're responsible for the cost. It's a mausoleum cemetery. Is it just going to open that up and say, here you go? They're going to expect, no. rightly so, the cost right. of removing the uh, the plate and yeah. all that stuff. So um, that's how I suggest uh, people do that. But again, don't just go do that. This is nothing I say is legal advice, disclaimer, big asterisk, disclaimer, because each and every state, you know, is different. And uh, and you, you may have PR issues, you may have some business questions about, you know, this or that or the next thing. So, I mean, there are veterans organizations that are saying, hey, if you have any veterans who've been abandoned at your funeral home, just give them to us. That is a very noble, very, very noble idea. It's a very noble yeah. cause. It's also going to be illegal in many states. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't be done, but you have to go through the proper uh uh, uh, disclosures to the family before you do that. For me, it seems like the amount of effort and time and risk that you're taking on doing it. For me, I was like, I'm just going to keep that closet. I don't know. Here's the thing, Mr. Cooney, is that you, the, when we talk about risk, though, you have risk having those creamy remains in your care That's because well. you know, they're so down in the basement yeah. and there's yeah. a flood. I guarantee if there's a flood at your funeral home, or I guarantee if there's a fire at your funeral home, right? It's on the news. Two days later, you're going to have a bunch of people. Hey, um, we left grandpa there 10 years ago. You got him. We saw you guys had a flood. You got him. Uh, right. So there is actually a risk and a liability by keeping them. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's a, it's a lose, lose situation. For us. It's a lose, lose. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to stay on top of our families. You got to get get them yeah, on it. There are statutory ways in which you can incentivize and or push families to get those uh, cremated remains back to them. But yeah. that's that's a, a paid gig uh, yeah. for that. <laughs> All right, uh, Sharky, let's let's end with one more. I want one more story out of you. Give me something that you've coped or you've been dealing with uh, maybe recently or not too long in the past, that'd be a good uh, last story for our funeral directors. Okay. Um, what so, okay. What's got? so okay. I did the, I made, so this bench and bar magazine and I made the cover back in 2017 of bench and bar magazine. Like, hey, congrats. Um, uh, and it's, I wrote an article called grave matters, uh, okay. the law and practice of disinterment, reinterment and exhumation. All right. And um, I, I I do this work myself. I've got the coolest set of shovels you've ever seen. Um, I'm the best paid digger that you'll ever meet because um, I charge my regular attorney fee. And if you don't want to pay that, I ain't doing it. But <laughs> so it's so in, in some states, not all states, but in many states, if you want to do an exhumation and there, by the way, there's a difference and some funeral directors will argue with me on this. And I'm like, you want to start quoting statute? Because I can quote statute like a preacher can quote the Bible. Um, <laughs> there is actually a difference between a disinterment and an exhumation. I did a, I did a thing with Carrie Northey. I don't know if you, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. He's the uh, Carrie the mortician. I did a gig with her in which she's like, shark, two minutes, explain the difference. Uh, but there is a difference. There's a legal difference. Yeah. Um, but doing an exhumation. Um, and so when I have to go to court, there's a lot of fun. When I have to go to court, to get an order for an exhumation, mm -hmm. I quote myself 
in my in my petition, and I'm like, Your Honor, um, uh, pursuant to the seminal article on the subject, Grave Matters, um, and then author Michael Sharkey. Uh, so those are a lot of fun. But I actually, yeah, I have a, I have a a pickup truck, and I have um, a bunch of very specialized uh, uh, equipment that I, I use to do these so that they are done in an ethical, first of all, legal, but also in an ethical manner and which so that uh, the subject of the extraction is, is treated with as much dignity and respect uh, on the exhumation as they would be treated when we're doing the original interment. Um, and I, I just I just did one. Well, it was in December. I just did one in December. I did one in a mausoleum. Um, you know, I get all tie vect up and did the removal and we took the individual out. Uh, so yeah, I do that. And it's probably. That's tough. Uh, yeah, it is tough. It's, it's tough. It is, I, it's I a- go through a lot of those. When you're done, I go through a lot of toothpaste and the funeral, the funeral directors in the group are they're like, Oh, I know what he talk. I know what he means. I know exactly yep. what you mean, and multiple showers. You strip, you strip out on the front porch, and you and you burn it. You're yeah, those are going in the burn barrel. Yeah, um, they're going straight into the retort, is where mine are going. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't put them in the retort. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, but that was awesome. Uh, love having you on, Sharky. That was a good time. If you're ever in some trouble, you know who to call. Michael Sharkey here. Thanks for taking the time, joining us. Super fun. What a what a hilarious and good informative conversation as well. I think there's a lot of people can learn from that. Yeah, if you're a um, uh, if if you're a layperson and you're interested in uh, uh, funeral service issues, there's a lot of look. There's 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 some good. There's some good people putting out good content. There's also some real hacks out there that yeah. um, are not so good, and they're putting out really crass, uh, poor content. Just yeah. because they're popular doesn't mean they're right. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're looking for you know on Facebook, uh, ask the embalmer slash funeral professional. It's a place for people to for for and we use funeral directors vetted funeral directors to answer questions to dispel a lot of the uh you know uh, questions that live folk have uh to take away that mask uh, and that veil if you're not if you're a legit licensed funeral director we'd love to have you as a member of prep room and if you're a funeral director who ever runs uh, a foul or needs help or just hey shark can you tweak my gpl um yeah mortuarylaw.com call me uh, but thank you so much, Mr. Cooney. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and um, everyone in the audience today. Thanks so much. Love it. That's the pod.